0: This is fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker, we have Nirman Dave, co-founder and CEO at Obviously AI, that closed their most recent round right before coronavirus. And this episode, will talk mostly about raising money from scouts, raising money during coronavirus, and also we will focus on scouts because part of their most recent round was funded by Sequoia Scouts and also uh, closer to the end of the episode we'll discuss how to plan the pricing um, tiers for the for the customers before you even have traction so Nirman I'll let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on obviously AI
1: yeah so thanks for having me Constantine. really appreciate it Um, I'm Nirman I grew up in India um, and kind of ended up um, you know, starting a company in India, um, it was called Circuitrix, which we really scaled very well. Um, from there on, I ended up at a, at a small liberal arts college near Boston called Hampshire, uh, moved to San Francisco, and then started, obviously, AI. Um, as a quick kind of background, you know, obviously, AI is a no-code machine learning tool for business users, so anyone that uh, has never coded before, never written, um, you know, machine learning or Python code before, can actually take a historical data set about their business, about their customers and predict something out of it. Um, so that's really what obviously enables people to do. Um, as a company, we're fairly young. We started about a year and a half back. Um, and since then we've grown from two people in a basement to 12 people today. Um, we worked with uh, 1500 small medium businesses and a couple of large, large enterprises as well. So that's kind of, you know, quick and dirty overview about us that's a decent
0: interview i mean that's a different decent overview (laughs) losing my language here Uh, but speaking of starting as you know two people in the basement when was the time that you've decided that you know it's time to grow the team it's time to go out and raise money from investors
1: so i was actually working at a company in san francisco Um, and I was the only data science person at the company, right? So, everyone would come up to me and they would ask me questions around uh, regression, classification, you know. I would often see analysts at my company trying to learn simple concepts in machine learning um, from YouTube videos, and they would fail miserably at it. (laughs) So, so that's, you know, where where the light bulb went up, and it said, you know, why is it that these non-tech business users, they're the ones who know the business, they're the ones who know the data, Why is it that they are spending hours and hours of their day trying to learn something that's super technical heavy? So, um, that's where the idea of obviously I started. Can we build a machine learning tool that enables anyone to quickly run their algorithms and run predictions on the data set that they have? Um, So, I I started to work on that, got a couple of beta users. Um, A friend of mine who just moved from MIT um, was working at another company in SF. We both kind of um, were living together, and we started to kind of see ourselves working on this every day after we came back from our job. Um, at one point, we we learned that the only way we can kind of build something that's more robust is focusing on it full-time. So, we both decided to quit our jobs. We had, I think, you know, $6,000 each. So, we, were, we had $18,000 each. We paid our rent for a couple of months, and we knew we were going to quickly run out of money um, if, uh, if we didn't raise, right, and we were still kind of building our product. Um, So, as immigrants that had come from India and other places in the world um, and as students, you know, that were kind of navigating from the school um, lifestyle to the work lifestyle, um, we were at this phase where we had a product. We had a couple of beta users and we said, hey, for us to actually grow um, and focus on this, we have to raise and we ended up doing that.
0: That's really cool. And how do you so I imagine that at this point when you were just, you know, realizing that you will run out of money soon if you don't raise. So you were basically forced to raise. And I imagine that at that point you didn't really have any traction nor a good MVP, right? Right. And how did you go with investors? Did yeah. how long did it take you basically to raise that first round when you had when you were pre-revenue, pre-product?
1: It was a very difficult time um because Every time we build something, so so one thing to understand about a tool like this is it's very complicated to build, Um, especially when you're kind of trying to build something like machine learning for someone that's Um, non-technical. And because of the complexities that it has, every time we we said, okay, we've completely built a tool and it's going to work perfectly fine from now, we went to a customer and the customer sat there clueless about what to do. And then we had to come back, we had to redesign it, we had to kind of re-engineer some things and go back. And we went through that process so many different times. So there was this very difficult time where we were kind of expecting a lot of rejection from customers because the product was kind of half-baked. Um, and then the, and then we went to investors, and interestingly enough, you know, one of the good things about Silicon Valley investors is they're very excited to hear about new ideas. Um, they, they have very interesting thoughts about that as well. Um, so, that worked out very well for us because it was a hot topic, it was a hot market, and people wanted to listen more about what we were doing. So, we got a lot of investor meetings. Um, raising out first time, we often, you know, didn't have a very clear picture of the, the product roadmap. We were just building something to solve a problem. We didn't know how it's going to scale. We didn't know what the market was. And so, as we started to talk to investors, we started to learn about what are some of the things that they really care about. So, what are the things that they care about in the product? What are the things that they care about in the market? And how can we better understand those things as a fundraiser? Um, so, in a way that worked out very well for us is because not only did we end up fundraising. By the way, our first um, our first investment came from Skydeck, which is an accelerator based out of Berkeley. Um, but not only not only did we end up fundraising, um, but we also learned a lot about our own business in the process. I think that was that was one of the most exciting things um we actually blundered a lot of fundraise um you know we were talking to investors and there were questions we didn't know answer to so we tried to make them make them up on the spot and we we blundered those things so you know a lot, right. learned a lot of things about you know interacting with people how they perceive businesses and the risks things like that so that was pretty pretty exciting
0: yeah that that is exciting but also raising pre pre product pre revenue is super extra complicated and mm-hmm. I'm curious, do you target some specific uh, investors uh, to reach out to? So was there like a specific persona that you were trying to reach? Like, I know founders who maybe have sold their companies that were focused on AI or something like that. Or did you just reach out to whoever you found?
1: So we were pretty overwhelmed. Um, you know, when we started working on this company, um, just like as kind of any immigrant trying to start a company in the U.S., one of the key things that was on the back of our head was you know can we find an investor that can you know help us figure out how to do this right we, we had no clue um you know how to kind of build a company how to set up the infrastructure all of that so we started with invest looking for investors that could do that um very quickly we learned that um you don't need um you know an, an investor that that can help you do that you need an investor that can help you grow the business and you know things like things like the logistics part is very easy to handle. Um, So, we started looking at, you know, investors that were specifically investing in in outside founders, but then we quickly realized that the logistics thing can be easy. So, we started to look at all the the early stage investors that, you know, people typically talk about. So, we would apply to accelerators like YC, we would apply to accelerators like Berkeley Skydeck, which is the one that we ended up taking up. Um, So, we looked at, you know, the accelerator, the path, um, the way it really all started was um, there's a there's a company in in San Francisco and one of the founders suggested that, you know, the best way to get started is kind of jump into an accelerator um, because they'll, they'll kind of help you understand the landscape. They'll help you understand the processes um, and how to kind of get your first few customers, right? So, we started to apply to a bunch of accelerators and, and eventually that's kind of what we ended up taking.
0: Right, that's actually a really good path and probably the most realistic path for pre-product, pre-revenue. So whoever is listening to this, if you don't have a product yet, nor revenue, Accelerators, Incubators, and Venture Studios is definitely a place for you to go to. Um, So let's skip forward to the second round that you've raised. And part of that round you've raised from Sequoia Scouts, Mm -hmm. can you go a little bit in depth into this? How how did this happen? How did you get in touch with them?
1: Um, so, so kind of just to kind of add to the previous part, um, I don't think we were fully pre-product. Um, we were pre-revenue, but um, I think one of the key things that actually helped um, our process with the, the the accelerators was the fact that we could show something, and that we could show the fact that we have enough commitment and drive that we are actually building out things and we testing it, um, which which actively really helped us in the process. Um, if we were pre-product. If we had no beta product, no beta users, um, I'm not sure how that would have gone. So I think I think there is there is definitely a lot of value in kind of making sure you have a product and a user. It, it really just um, shows how you are mature as a a founder. Um, <clears throat> but talking about the next round, um, the next round was pretty exciting. Um, we actually did uh, kind of start thinking about that after the accelerator. We 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 kind of took some time to kind of build out the product, um, get more customers, um, get more paid customers. Although we were kind of early on, where we would do a lot of paid pilots, um, we weren't still kind of closing full-length customers. We are doing paid pilots with large enterprises. Um, And I think there, the goal was to kind of really, you know, figure out the best kind of messaging market fit, which means what's the best kind of messaging you can tell to the right kind of people and figure out the best kind of customer fit. Um, so that that was really the goal of our next phase. Um, but I was working at a company that was Sequoia-funded um, before I started, obviously. Yeah. So I had a really good relationship with the founder, um, and you know he didn't really jump right in to investment, but actually after we had the product, after we had the users, he saw the commitment that I had, he saw the fact that we were pulling through, and then decided to invest. So I think... Um, you know, I think we briefly touched on this before, but the difference between just any angel and a scout um, is typically that a scout still has accountability to other people, so they they'll have to even if they love the product, they'll have to kind of back it with a really good right foundation and a reason. Um, whereas an angel can just you know if they like it, they'll just put money in you. Um, so I think that's the that's the little bit of a difference that we see there. Um, but but I think I think overall that's that's how it came to be.
0: So basically, you got an introduction to Sequoia Scouts, right?
1: Sorry, say that one more time.
0: So you you actually got basically introduced to those Sequoia Scouts. They did not reach out to you themselves, or you didn't reach out to them.
1: No. So we 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 actually. So he was my boss in my previous company. Mm-hmm. So we always had this working relationship. When I left the job, I had a conversation with him that, hey, you know, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to, I'm moving forward on this path. And he actually deeply appreciated it and respected that. Uh, he was a founder who had done similar um, startups and had been on the path before, so he really knew what it means to kind of uh, work on a startup. So I think he was very supportive from early on, and the investment came when we grew um, at a certain, uh, certain limit, right? So it, the investment didn't come right away, but it came, from him when we grew, um, so I think it was it, it was it was just a product of the fact that we had this relationship, we kept it even after the job, um, and that he was also deeply invested in in kind of the work that I was doing, and uh, you know having worked together, he also um, was very very supportive of all the other things I did. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. So. Um... Let's go
0: back to both of those rounds that you raised. And I'm curious, what's your major takeaway? So, was there some specific strategy that maybe worked best for you specifically? Maybe that was, I don't know, just basically reaching out to everyone on Crunchbase or reaching out to everyone who uh, left some, uh, I know, comments on some VC's uh, posts on Twitter or what was that? Was there some sort of strategy that really worked out for you?
1: So, I think. Um... I'll tell you about the very first accelerator round, right? And the fact that we got into Berkeley was kind of close to um, close to a miracle or something, I would say. Um, so, here's how it happened, right? The Berkeley Skydeck Accelerator applications had closed. And we were kind of applying left and right to as many um, accelerators as we can because that's the only way we knew to move forward. Um, so, we were applying left and right to accelerators. Um, Berkeley static application had closed. And um, we actually emailed um, the email, the info at email actually saying, hey, I know the Excel applications have closed, but can you make us an exception? And we got two responses. One person, you know, said um, the applications are closed. You know, we can't do anything, come next year. And the other response said, hey, um, sure, why don't you send over your deck? And we totally ignored the first response. I mean, just <laughs> and we sent over our deck. And the next thing you know, we were in the process. Um, you know, they asked us to fly down to Berkeley. We were in Boston at the time. Um, and we moved to Berkeley. We we did a presentation with them. And um, I think a, a day later, we we knew we were in. Um, so I think that's kind of how it worked out very well. Um, the only thing is to really kind of just ask. I think that's something that I've learned uh, very early on is not only about fundraising, but a lot of just other things is just the ability to ask. It's just so powerful and so underrated that sometimes if something is not possible, the fact that you can ask and be like, hey, can you make me an exception? Or, hey, is there still a chance this could happen? I think that uh, is very, very important. So that played out pretty well for us. I think um, that was super helpful. When it came to the the other rounds, I think, The way we got introduced to a lot of institutional investors early on um, was through our accelerator. So they they connected us with um, a lot of different funds, one of which was Arca Ventures, which ended up investing in us, um, and a bunch of different kind of angels as well. Um, So they made these intros and connections. They actually do this thing where they kind of curate a list of investors for you and for your business, and try to kind of connect you with them. Um, But the real goal as a founder there is that you get this you get this wave of investors that wanna meet with you because the market is hot because what you're doing is interesting. Um, so I think one of the key things there is to understand and learn um, right where these investors are coming from. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's human. So it's very important to be a little empathetic, um, I feel like, and really understand um, what is their perspective about the market? What are their biases about the market? Maybe they like a particular type of approach in a product then they don't like the other one. Um, You know, what are their benchmarks that they want to see? I think these kind of things were really, really important as we started to talk to investors. Um, And it really helped us narrow down um, kind of how we want to move forward. For example, um, if you have enough revenue, um, but probably not a high amount of revenue, um, which kind of most startups end up at after a few accelerator rounds, is, um, you know, then it's a good idea to target investors that are, investing in companies that are earlier than you, right? So what we did was we were at a point right after the accelerator, we had spent a lot of time building the product, we hadn't hit a really good revenue goal at the moment. And um, instead of targeting investors that were investing in in, uh, large revenue rounds, we started to target investors that were investing with no revenue expectation. And so because of that, um, what would happen is we would get much more uh, interesting leads um, and the fact that we were already high revenue generating in the companies that they would typically see work out well for us. So really mm-hmm. important to understand, you know, what are the companies that an investor is going to see on everyday basis? Um, a pre-seed investor is not going to see the same companies that a you know, series A investor or series B investor is going to see on, on everyday basis. And they're not gonna be tracking the same kind of companies that the larger investors will be. So it's very important to kind of understand where you are in that place and target people that typically don't see the type of companies that are, are you, um, which might just give you a big boost. Um, that's something that I personally do. So.
0: Right, so you mentioned revenue and that's the next topic that I want to discuss today with you. Uh, I'm looking at your pricing plans here and I'm honestly not sure, how, how did you come up with this pricing plan? So your first tier is free, so $0 per month and the next one is 75. So, how did you
1: come up with those like first two tire tiers? That's a great question, actually. we I think from the start, it was very hard for us to to kind of come up with uh, an interesting pricing. Um, because part of the reason was when you're going to larger companies and you know selling a tool like this that they've never really seen before, that they, they don't know how to compare this tool with something else, right? Um, so pricing can be very difficult um because there's no point of anchor. Right. There's nothing that people know where to start with. Um, so, we did a lot of experimentation with our pricing. You know, we had a tier that went from free to, you know, 1000 bucks a month. We had a different tier, um, you know, so on and so forth. So, we did a lot of experimentation there. And eventually, we started to learn what are some of the key things that our, our users care about. And very quickly, we learned that the users don't care about building the machine learning model as much as they care about taking action on that model. So, a lot of the pricing that we've built is kind of built to, to focus on, on the action piece. So, if you want to just go ahead and build a model, you can go ahead and do that on the free plan. But the moment you want to take an action on it, um, you want to kind of use that model to, to, to kind of put it inside your workflow, connect with Zapier, or something like that, um, that's when we start, we start charging you. So, I think that's something that we eventually learned and kind of settled into. Um, pricing is an answer that we typically don't get early on, um, but it's something that we only learn from from customers.
0: Now let's speak about customers, then, because uh, you know, gaining acquiring the first customers is probably the most, you know the hardest thing that you do in the startup yeah. world. Uh, so how do you manage to do this? How do you acquire your first like 10 or 100 customers?
1: Yeah, so when I quit my job, um, I asked my boss, hey, by the way, do you know anyone that does you know analytics work um, you know, besides your company, besides the company that we work at? Um, and he said, hey, I know this other guy in this other company is my friend who is an analyst. I'm like, great, connect me. Um, So I think that was like the very first starting point. And this was even before we had a product. Um, So just kind of getting those connections was super helpful. Um, I think your first customers always typically come from your own network. Um, And then, you know, people talk about it and then you get a community on Twitter, um, which is what happened to us. um, And people really, really get excited about the things that you do. But the very early customers came from our own network um, that was kind of the first wave of customers. The second wave of customers was from the network of the accelerator that we were in. Um, so, Skydeck had connections of previous Skydeck companies, of um, partners that they were working with, things like that. Um, and those connections became super helpful. And it took us a while, I think. Um, in 2019, um, we started to kind of build out what we call our content strategy. Um, and that really helped us build a a, rep, a recognition among people that would that would talk about us, that would recommend us to other folks, things like that. But um, you know, before we had all of that, it was just just our network.
0: Mm-hmm so here you know we're gonna move from the discussing your past basically to discussing your future which is the acquisition i'm curious what's your view on that so do you think founders uh should plan for the acquisition like really early on should they show their investors in a pitch deck like here are the five custom i mean the five companies that we believe might acquire our company in five years do you think that makes sense
1: so typically um i think Every, I mean, just my personal opinion is um, that as founder, um, you're starting a company not because you want to start a company, but because you st- strongly feel about a problem that deeply resonates with you. Like, for example, automating machine learning deeply resonated with me because, like, all these, uh, these analysts at my company that were bugging me and they're taking me away from my job of what I was actually supposed to do. Um, and so it, it was really annoying for me, and I wanted to really like like just focus on my job and let them do their thing. Um, so I think it really starts from that point of I want to build something that I can really, really solve, and I really think um, you know can can help people. So no founder really starts with the idea that I want to build something that can get acquired. Um. There are certain companies that might do that, you know. There are, we've seen companies which would be a spinoff from a large enterprise, and then they would sell back to that enterprise, things like that. But I personally feel that the the key focus should be on solving um, a problem that people people deeply uh, like. Um, one thing that kind of helps help me is we've had we've had uh, several acquisition offers in the past, um, and as we ended up declining, uh, pretty much all of them and um as we kind of navigated through that process one of the things that kind of helped me was uh, one of our advisors said um that you know it could be that they're acquiring for you for you know 100 million or 0 million for example or like 0 dollars right whatever um what we need to really think is is this a company that i can build to be a you know billion dollar company something that we can really solve problems for people in the future. Um, and how much passionate am I to build this company? So as a founder, the often one of the most important decisions you make is, do you wanna sell this company out and focus on your next other thing? Um, or are you so passionate about the, the market itself that you can continue building um, regardless of the offers today and really, really kind of win in this market? And if the answer is the latter, where you think you can continue building and really win in this market, and you have that that empathy and that connection with the people that you're building it for, um, I think um, acquisition kind of goes out of the window, regardless of how big the the check size is. If you feel that that is not what you want to do, um, and you just want to move on with your life and figure out the next thing you want to build, that is also completely fine. And in that case, um, an acquisition makes sense. But on the latter case, which is what, you know i strongly feel as we can build this our product and really really nail down this market um i don't think acquisition makes sense at an early stage Mm
0: -hmm. right that does make a lot of sense and that's something that everyone should take really personally. So uh, take take time to to think about this stuff. Um, So now from the future, we're going back to the past, (laughs) just jumping back and forth in time here. Uh, But my, my, my question was, if you could travel in time and go to the very first fundraising that you had for obviously AI, what would you change? Would you maybe change the pitch deck or maybe the way that you approached investors or the way you talk to them? Would there be something specific that you would love to change?
1: Oh boy! Uh, I think um, as as like a first time founder that kind of starts off in Silicon Valley, right? You could have been a founder in another place, which is what was the case with me. But the entire ecosystem and the environment was very different, right? So when you're in Silicon Valley, one of the key things is um, it. Be- I think there's just this 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 way of um, when you talk to some investors. You might feel that the investors um, have very strong opinions about the product and the market. And as you talk to them, you might start to feel that they know more than you do, even if the only thing they've done is look at your pitch deck for five minutes, right? <laughs> You've worked on it for years and months. Um and you might feel like that. So what one thing that happened with us was early on, we were talking to an investor and um, we said, hey, we're building this tool that can help you run predictions on a data set. And uh, they said, what about uh, a tsunami that comes in? Will you be able to predict that? And we were like, hell no, we're not God, right? We're just predicting from there. <laughs> um, and then and then he made this insanely convincing argument about why it's important to do that. And as a, as a founder that you're just starting off, you just have a couple of beta users, you don't have really a lot of feedback to rely on you start to feel, oh, maybe that's the right thing to do, right? And then we we, we started to think in a direction of building something in that sense, and it was, it was really complicated. Um, but I think what really helps early on is having a focus, I think. But um, even if an investor says that, hey, this is what you should be building, knowing the fact that the investor is not the one that's on the ground 24-7, knowing the fact that they don't understand your customers the way you do, and knowing the fact that, you know, you have experienced this product firsthand, you work with the customers firsthand, so what you should be building comes from a place of focus. So, when you can reject an idea from an investor that's about your product, I think that, that really um, says a lot about you as a founder, and I think that has been the most important kind of learning from the early investor raise, right? Where we, we ended up kind of going into this spiral where we followed Everything that an investor wanted to build, thinking they're going to be investing in us,
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. And,
1: and very quickly we realized, you know, we should not uh, focus on that at all, and just 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 focus on what our customers really care about. Um, so I think that was that was an important to learn. Like everyone tells you this thing, but you only realize it when when it it, it happens to you, um, and you only have to you know take that step back and be like, oh my God, I'm going into the spiral of building something for people that are not my customers um, and just taking a step mm-hmm.
0: back. Right, yeah. So, yeah. that's actually wonderful advice. I've seen way too many people being like super submissive to investors and like listening to their advice. Of course, investors do give advice. I mean, great advice mm-hmm. because we've seen tons and tons of companies yeah. in like, all different fields, but still your point is really, right here just listen to your customer not to the goddamn investor. unless your customer is the investor (laughs) and that happens too so let's move to the last question of today's episode we have a call to action what's that one thing that the listener should do as soon as the episode is over
1: i'm sorry say it one more time what's the one
0: what's the one thing that the listener should do as soon as the episode is over so like call to action for the listener who is to this episode right now
1: um, I think just kind of I, I I think just kind of focus on like building um, something for your users. Um, one other thing you should all do, by the way, is go to obviously.ai and check out our product and give it a shot. Um, it's it's one of those uh, one of those things I had to say it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but, I think overall, you know, just just focus on the product. I think it's something that we've learned early on. Um, I think the the more better the product you have, uh, it it really works well. um, especially if you're building a product that's aimed at a, a a large group of people, um it's very important to nail down the experience of the product, um, which really can can impact um, how people feel and convert at the end of the day
0: right that's great advice and decent call to action i'll definitely leave a link to obviously dot ai in the description of this episode and my personal call to action would be go to the description of the episode i will leave another link to the event that me and make it studio are organizing together it's called student star bell so um it's basically a no bs conference where we'll discuss a step-by-step approach to solving i mean to bring an idea from being just an idea to being a fundable company. So if you're tired of you know experts telling you, you know, to get out of the building or stuff like that, definitely, definitely join the join the conference that we're organizing because it can be no BS. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot, Nearman, for coming up and for sharing your knowledge, for sharing your great advice, especially on the customer focus. I think that's really helpful and a lot of people still ignore that. So thank you for that and have a great day. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.